0: Whenever we celebrate Father's Day, um, we should always be thankful for our fathers. Think of our fathers. Talk to our fathers if we if we can. But we should always let that thankfulness roll up to our heavenly Father. Because no matter if you are in Christ, then no matter whether you had a dad who reflected well our heavenly Father or who did not reflect well our heavenly Father, you now have a perfect heavenly Father with perfect care with perfect love, with perfect attention, with perfect everything, and who loves you and is for you and is with you always. And so always on Father's Day, thank your earthly fathers, but always let it roll up to our perfect heavenly Father. Uh, If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 19. um, And I will try my best not to knock anything over. It's kind of claustrophobic up here for me with my wild arms. I'll try to dial it back a little bit today, Um, but as you're getting to Luke chapter 16, and if you don't have a Bible, there's one around you, page 876. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you. Uh, You can have it. It's our gift to you. But while you're flipping to chapter 16, uh, have you ever experienced buyer's remorse? Where you buy something and immediately afterwards you... Regret it. So maybe you buy something, it's expensive, and then the next day it goes 50% off, or you buy something, and then immediately you recognize that was a colossal mistake, but there's nothing I can go back and do. I can't undo this purchase, I can't undo this decision that I made. In the parable that we've got before us this morning, we're going to be talking about a, a man who has the ultimate buyer's remorse. He's just invested his whole life in enjoying his lavish riches and now he's dead and he's in Hades and there's no second chance and he has eternal buyer's remorse over the decisions he made in life because this story from the lips of Jesus teaches us that when you die like that, I mean, no second chance. And all people will either go to heaven or hell. And the choices that you make, the choice that you make right now in this life to believe in Jesus or to reject Jesus determines those outcomes. But the choice is not just to raise your hand and say, I don't I don't want to go to hell. All right. That's not salvation. It's also not to just repeat some prayer that some guy tells you to say as if the words of that prayer, not the intentions of the heart, but just the mere words of that prayer are like a magic potion, an incantation that to get you out of hell free. All right. And then you can always just look back like your life's never changed. No. And you're like, I prayed a prayer way back when that that's that's not what this choice is about. When we're talking about this choice, we're talking about a real choice to follow Christ as Lord and Savior and that choice will change you it can't not change you if it's a real choice i've got a friend in here who deals with mac trucks and it's just like when you get hit by a mac truck you will not look the same when you get it's graphic but you will not look the same When you get hit by the gospel, you cannot look the same. You will be changed. You you, you can't receive it and not be changed. You will be changed and you will be continually being changed for the rest of your life. Little by little by little as God continues to work and carve and chisel and sometimes sledgehammer things out of you to make you more like His Son. And one of the places that that change will be most evidenced in your life, and Jesus has been, sorry about that, Jesus has been camping out on this for the last couple of chapters we've been in. One of the places that will be most evidenced in your life is your view and use of money. It's one of the places that this change will be most evidenced in your life. And so this parable, where this guy's going to have buyer's remorse, is a parable warning Those of us who claim to know God and yet our lifestyles and our abuse of money does not back that claim up. It's a warning to us to check our hearts lest we too wind up with buyer's remorse. And so I've I've stated a lot before this idea that someone shared with me, I actually saw him this week, a guy named Mark Lederbach, saw so him in Phoenix. This formula of stated belief plus actual practice, and stated belief plus actual practice equals actual, I have awesome handwriting, belief. Stated belief plus actual practice equals actual belief. You can tell me all day long what you say you believe. Let me watch your life and then we'll know what you really, really believe. And so this parable is a warning to like take stock of our lives where we are at. And so the two dra- I want to I really camp on these questions throughout the bulk of this sermon. Asking us all to ask ourselves, what is my stated belief? Do I claim to know Christ? Where do I claim to have my hope? Where do I claim to have my security? Where do I claim to place my identity? Where do I claim to place my future? All right. What is my stated belief? And then does my actual practice, especially as it relates to the use of money, back that up? Or am I making a fool's trade trying to gain the whole world when in the end I'm going to forfeit my soul? And I'm going to live with eternal buyer's remorse. And I'm not talking about slipping up and falling. Like we're all going to do that. But habitually, like this is your lifestyle. And so let's make our way through the parable it'll become a little more clear when we get into that. And let's pray that even as we read the Scriptures here, we will let the Scriptures read us and that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction, He'll bring repentance to us, and He'll bring change in our lives. Because no one in here gets this perfectly. We're all dirty. We're all unclean as it relates to this. We're all in the same boat. And so let's come with humility to God's Word and pray for the Spirit to instruct and change us. So Luke chapter 16, verse 19. We'll just take it a little bit at a time. Verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen... And who feasted sumptuously every day. So they just gave us, in a nutshell, the lifestyles of the first century rich and famous. So he's clothed in purple. That's a color of royalty. It's really expensive to make that color in that time. It came from mollusks and shells in the ocean. Very, very expensive. Um, and so that was like, what, what, ladies, what's the most expensive brand of clothing that is out there? Poor man. Kashmir. Oh, <laughs> I don't know what it said, but it sounded good to me. It's... But just think of the most expensive brand of clothing that just sends Armani or something, maybe. It sends signals, just, you know, cries out lavish richness. That's what he's got on. Even his underwear, because the, 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 the fine linen, that's talking about the undergarment, this was shipped in from Egypt. So this is very expensive. Uh, and then he feasts extravagantly or sumptuously every day. This isn't Mickey D's. This isn't even Ruth's Chris or the stockyard. This is beyond that. This is just, he, he lives in absolute excess. Absolute excess. Self-indulgent to the extreme. Walking around in purple clothes. Wanting people to know him. Recognize him. Think things about him. But then verse 20, look. We've got an, an, the other side. The other Extreme and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. And so on the opposite end, you've got Lazarus. All right. This is not the same Lazarus that's the brother of Mary and Martha, completely different guy, just like we've got a lot of Jeffs in here. We got a lot of Steve's in here. Common name, Lazarus, different guy. And this Lazarus was laid at the rich man's gate. So he he can't walk, right? He's too weak to walk. And in his illness and in his malnutrition, it's left him covered with festering sores to the point that dogs are attracted to the stench and they come and lick this pus off the sores. That's how sick he is. And he can't even keep them off of him. And so the pictures of a man who is utterly neglected and helpless, receiving more compassion from the dogs than he is from this guy's gate, from the guy who lives, you know, beyond the gate that he's laid at. Because the the the, the rich man know we're going to see he knows the beggar's name. He knows him. It's not you know he's never met him doesn't know anything about him. he he recognizes he calls him by name in verse twenty four, and so he knows who he is. Lazarus is at his gate every single day, he's malnourished, he's sick, he's impoverished. Meanwhile, the rich guys eating sumptuously every single day, walking around in purple, eating his caviar, having to step over Lazarus to get into, you know, to go up the front the front steps to his palace. One price, like, like the price of one meal for this rich man would feed Lazarus. Well, for a month. That's the excess this guy is living in. And yet the rich man refuses, day after day, seeing him every single day, making eye contact, because he's at the gate, week after week, year after year, to do anything. Anything. He, He had the chance, every single day, to feed the hungry, clothe, the naked, heal the sick. And he chose none of that. Though he was at front steps every single day, he did nothing. Never even sent the scraps from his table that Lazarus would love to eat. Never set him up with a doctor to check on him. Didn't do anything. He was not stewarding his wealth redemptively as we talked about last week. He, he wasn't seeking to make eternal friends. He was just stewarding it for himself. And I'm not condemning wealth. Make sure you understand that. Like you look throughout God's kingdom, there were a lot of wealthy people. I think of David. I think of Abraham. All right. I think of Joseph in Egypt. There were a lot of wealthy, wealthy people. So wealth isn't the problem. I'm not condemning that. The problem was this guy's greedy, money-loving, I claim to love God, but actually I love my bank accounts way more mindset. That's the problem. The love of money. And we're going to see in a minute this guy considers himself to be a child of Abraham. All right, So he's supposed to be part of God's people. That's what that means. So you've got a guy, he claims to know God. All right, He can probably recite portions of the Torah. He can spit out lots of knowledge about God, but he does not seem, based upon his life, to know God. Because if you know God, it will affect your bank accounts. It will affect your mercy and your care towards others. Others that you maybe aren't like you. Others that... Maybe you get on your nerves. They're always at the gate. They're always wanting something you feel. If you know God, it will change your care. It will change your mercy. It will change your compassion. For those you don't even know, but also especially for those that you see all the time. This guy, though he claimed to know the Word of God, he did not heed the Word of God. And what about you and me? we claim to know the word of god but do we heed it in a variety of aspects but in particular as he's talking today as we use the wealth because we we live in america we're richer than 90 we are the rich man there's no one in this room who plays the part of the poor man we are the richest country in the world how do we use that as Christians, how do we, if you claim to be a Christian? Right, you've got a stated belief, but what does your actual practice say? Well, I think it's good to be merciful. I think it's good to be compassionate. I think it's good to provide for those who, who can't, but what, is, what does your actual practice say? What does my actual practice say? What do I actually believe? But this guy's practice was to ignore the Word of God, that was his practice. Because God's Word, it resounds from cover to cover with calls for the necessity of mercy and the necessity of compassion. Not dissimilar from the mercy and compassion that Jesus showed us in our spiritual bankruptcy, in our spiritual illness, in our spiritual impoverishment. The mercy and kindness Jesus freely showed at great cost to Himself. Cover to cover, it calls us to this same type of thing. I'll just go Old Testament on you for just a minute. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire steadfast love or mercy. For I desire steadfast love or mercy and not sacrifice. For the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Amos chapter 5, verse 21. I hate, I despise your feasts. And he's, he's called everybody to do these things. And he's just saying you do them with Poor motivation, wrong you know, wrong mindset, and so I detest them. Right? I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Micah 6 Verse six, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? And he's told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Folks, look right at me. You cannot live a life pleasing to God if, and, and not be merciful. We have to be merciful and compassionate and consider others first. Lay our lives down. We follow Christ. What did Christ do? He did these things. And so from cover to cover, seeking justice, providing for others, living as sojourners in this alien land, because this is not our home. And anyone in here who claims to know Jesus would state that. Yeah, yeah, we're sojourners in this land. This isn't our home. Heaven is our home. But do we live like that? Do we steward our resources like that and our lives like that? And lay them down for the gospel to be proclaimed and the the sick to be healed and the weak to be strengthened and the poor to be provided for? And I'm not advocating also for some sort of guilt-ridden, need-to-live-in-poverty, false gospel. The scripture commends, in Proverbs even, giving a, providing an inheritance for your children's children. It even talks about that. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. The scripture says that's a good thing. And so again, wealth is not the problem, but it's in how you use and view it. It's been given to you by God. Use it for His purposes. It's His It's not yours in the first place. You stewarded. But for this man, and perhaps for some of us in here, money was his true God. He could claim all day long, but his practice showed what was his true God. And so, verse 22. The poor man died. And was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. All right, Abraham's bosom. This is paradise. All right, It's not the new heavens and the new earth. He doesn't have a body yet. This is the intermediate state. If I died right now, I'm going to heaven. All right, But that's not like new heavens and new earth when you get your glorified body. It's resurrected and put back together. So it's this intermediate state. The poor man died and was carried to by the angels to Abraham's side. Abraham's bosom, heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. So the poor man didn't even get a burial. He was just cast off the side of a cliff into a place called Gehenna where things burn and dead bodies and corpses are. Jesus used it as an example of hell actually a lot. But the rich man, he gets a burial. All right. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades, being in torment. All right. Hell is eternal conscious torment. It's horrible to think about. Jesus teaches on it more than anybody. And this is what Jesus says. And, he lift, and so now Jesus kind of goes hypothetical. All right? this, is an, this is a parable. This is not an actual historical. And so all of this is hypothetical, but right here he gets very hypothetical. And so look, he lifted up his eyes. This is the rich man. And he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So again, he, he's recognizing this guy now. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water. And cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember. That you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here. And you are in anguish. Now, real quick, Jesus is not saying that this guy is in hell because of his poor stewardship. And he's not saying that Lazarus is in heaven because he was impoverished. The rich man is in hell because he rejected God's Word and God. And Lazarus is in heaven because he trusted God's Word and God. That's why they're in heaven and hell. And then 26. And besides all this, Abraham's still talking here, hypothetically. Between Well, this part's actually, Jesus is getting out of truth. Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And so, again, this is hypothetical. Jesus is is not indicating that heaven and hell are like juxtaposed and you can look across and see what's going on. He's given us a hypothetical uh, example. This is a parable, not a historical account. But He has shown that as the rest of Scripture shows, that once you die and you are assigned one of those two places, there's no second chance. It's fixed. This life is where you make that decision. And so, folks, it is a foolish, foolish trade to seek after the temporal things of this world and then live with eternal buyer's remorse because you rejected God now. It is a foolish trade. No one is going to buy stock in a company they know is going to fail. No one's going to set up house in a sinking ship. No reasonable person's going to lay up treasure where moth and you know, rust will destroy and thieves break in and steal. But when we run after the world and the things of the world, that's what we're doing. Knowingly doing. All of this world, this fallen and crooked and messed up world that we find so enticing is passing away. It is temporary. And so if you set your heart on this, you're going to wind up in the end with just a life of misery. And so Jesus is saying, don't put your heart there. Don't make a stupid trade. Don't live with eternal buyer's remorse. And not only in the eternal, but also like right now. You're robbing yourself of joy right now because we're meant to live for so much more than this world has to offer. We're meant to live for so much more than just accumulating stuff and having people think that's pretty neat. We're meant to live for more than just instant gratification that's fleeting anyhow. So you never get enough. You're always seeking more. I mean, when we're in Ecclesiastes, we talked about this so many times. We get on this treadmill of wrong thinking where we believe that if we could just get more of what already does not satisfy us, we would be satisfied. Right? That's crazy. If I can just get more of what already doesn't satisfy me, I'll be satisfied. No, 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 no. Cash that in and get something real, joyful, eternal. Can't be taken from you no matter what circumstances come into our life. And so I'm always reminded of C.S. Lewis's quote from his sermon, Weight of Glory. This is what Clive writes. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition and I'd add money when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. That's how we lived. And then he concludes, we are far too easily pleased. Don't be pleased with the shadows. Be pleased with the substance that those shadows are to point us to. And so let's finish this up. Verse 27. And he said... This is the rich man. Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. That is the Old Testament, all right, the Bible. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone... No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And so this is a clear foreshadowing of the resurrection of Jesus. But still, because of the hardness of the human heart, people, after Jesus was, you know, rose again, still chose not to believe. And I hear people all the time today say, you know, if I could just see it, then I would believe it. And Jesus is saying here, if you won't believe my word. My scriptures, then even if you saw it, you wouldn't believe it. You would seek to explain it away in some way so you could go on making your mud pies. And so what's the call of this parable? is to learn from this guy's blood and this guy's remorse so that you don't have to yourself. So you don't have to live that out. And it's a call to check our stated belief and check our actual practice to see if they go together. But somebody also, I want to attack this last thing we'll be done. Somebody also will kind of perhaps ask the question, just this whole idea of buyer's remorse and and hell, that if God is a good and loving and merciful God, he would never, ever, ever do that. I want to help you to see, hopefully, that it is precisely because God is good and loving that he does that. And so we all want to act like, you know, we can people, we can spit in God's face. We can mock him. We can belittle him. We can stab others in the back. We can lie and kill and steal and destroy and carry out injustice after injustice, rape, murder, pillage. And in the end, Jesus needs to just love everybody and look past it. Or maybe we think, well, maybe the extreme things we want there to be a hell for that, but but not my things. But if God's not like if he if he's going to look past anything that is not perfect, then he's not perfect. He's not holy. He's not good. He's not just. He's not loving. Like it's not loving to just look past and be callous to the pain and the heartache of the world that sin and evil and wickedness cause. And so precisely because God is loving and good and holy and just, He has wrath against sin and evil and wickedness. But here's the key for believers. This is the key. For for believers, that punishment against our sin, that wrath, that infinite wrath that God has against our sin, it was laid on Christ and paid for by Him. He bore our sin he made atonement he satisfied the wrath of god against our sin he justified us before the father through his life and his death and his resurrection in our place giving us eternal life and forgiveness of all of our sin and all of our guilt and shame as well it's gone jesus takes that from us and he gives us his righteousness in its place it's a switcheroo it's a trade All is a gift of grace. Freely given. We don't merit it. We don't earn it. He's a good, good father who offers this to all who will believe. But for those who would reject and not receive this gift. Then justice will be served still. But it will be on you instead of being on Jesus. And there's eternal conscious torment in hell. But the whole argument that if God is a loving God, there can't be wrath involved. That's just wrong headed. If there's no wrath involved, there's no love. When something gets hurt, there's anger righteously against that. It it would not be loving for me to watch one of my kids get just horrible things done to them and be like, eh, no big deal. I guess it made this guy happy. That's not loving. Right? Right? And so God's wrath is a sign, actually, uh, that he's good and that he's loving. And, And in fact, what accentuates God's love is the fact that there is so much wrath being deserved. Like there's so much just for me, just for me personally, I deserve so much wrath from God based upon what I've done in my life. The, and this accentuates the love of God because the big message of Christianity is not that that's so crazy and so radical. It's not that God has wrath. That makes sense. What's crazy is that he offers grace. That's what's crazy. And he offers it freely to anyone who will repent and believe. A rich sinner who's claimed to love God, but he doesn't. He's just been a phony his whole He offers grace. A poor man who can't get up and walk, he offers grace. Anybody and everybody. No prerequisites. Grace is offered freely and openly. And so if you're in here and you have not trusted Jesus He is wooing you and calling you to Himself today. How do I know that? You're here. And He's saying, receive or reject. You can decide. What do you want to do? That's how it appears to us. He offers that. And so friend, if you have not trusted Christ, receive Him. Receive him. Don't don't choose a life of eternal buyer's remorse. And if you have trusted Christ, you claim to know Christ, does your stated belief back up your actual practice? And if it doesn't, repent and turn back to God. He's a good, good father. He doesn't run out of grace. He doesn't run out of grace. Turn back to him. Repent ask the Spirit to change you, to open your eyes and continue to work in your life for God's glory and your own good. Let's pray. Father, we praise You that You are a good, good Father. And that for for those that You've called to Yourself and You've given the gift to believe, You've given the gift of faith, Lord, for those you have done that, that you adopt them into your family and they become your children and you are their father. You are our father. And you never leave us. You never forsake us. And you continue to lavish grace on us in spite of our oftentimes stupidity. Willful stupidity lots of times. And you continue to offer grace. And so, Father, work in us and change us and make us more like you. And then, Father, use us to make a difference in this world. Justice. Righteousness. Humility. And also to help others to know your goodness and your grace and your mercy and come to believe and come to faith. And know the joy of your salvation now and forevermore. And never, ever have to worry about buyer's remorse. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.